Good morning. And uh, most, of, most of you know us as uh, Suresh and Cheryl, and uh, we were in Turkey for 10 years, and last year God brought us back uh, to serve here. And uh, one of the things that we were quite clear coming back was uh, he very directly said for us to move into a particular area about five-minute drive from here, but it's like day and night compared to our neighborhood where we are here as a church. It's, it's called Jamestown. We are right at Martin Grove and Finch area, uh, John Garland. For those of you who don't know much about that area, it's one of the worst areas in terms of crime and also the gangs that operate. But it was so clear for us the direction from God to move there. So we did go in there, and God provided us with a place. And two months into it, uh, while Cheryl parked the car, and when she was walking, and this guy comes out of nowhere, she doesn't remember seeing him before, and makes serious sexual threats towards her. And naturally, she was shaken, and we were shaken too, and I was very angry. First of all, somebody will do that very directly to her face. Because we lived in ten, for 10 years in Turkey, never we encountered anything like that. This is right here, five minutes from here. And then I was also angry with God because I'm saying, you brought us here and you even gave us very specific direction to move into this neighborhood. It's a long story for me to explain how we know that he directed us there. And you are supposed to watch over us. Where is your justice? Somebody could do this and get away with it. And for me, like I was so angry, like I said, like I need to look for this guy. I mean, so I'm asking Cheryl, describe the guy, and I'm looking at every guy as I pass every time when I'm walking in a townhouse complex. I used to have a baseball bat under the bed in our old place. <laughs> now I thought I should replace it with an aluminum bat, and I was serious. There was no, nothing within me praying for this guy. All that was was anger. That's our local context. Let me take you to a context a little distant from us. Uh, Erbil, uh, how many of you have heard Erbil? Erbil is in northern Iraq, that's the Kurdish area, the whole Iraq is a mess, but if this area is relatively stable. And it's rich in oil, and there, Christian Missionary Alliance, that's our denomination, we do have an out outreach partnership going on. About six weeks ago, I met one of the pastors who is leading, he's a local person. For security reasons, I'm going to call him Kemal. That's just not his name. And if you come with me to Erbil, and more likely, Kemal or one of his friends will meet us at the airport, and you have to fly through Istanbul to get to Erbil. And he will take you to a church there, and you will meet his four daughters. They are beautiful, four young women. They are right there. The tricky part is where this church is, is less than 35 kilometers from the ISIS front. That's how close they are. You will also meet some women there from Outside perspective, they may not look beautiful as Kemal's daughters because they have undergone rapes at least 30 times a day, a day, passed on from person to person. And finally, somebody paid some ransom to rescue these women. 
And now they are in this church. You will see them too. Where is the justice of God? It looks like the wicked are prospering, the children of God are suffering. What you and I confront may not be as significant or serious as Erbil, but that's reality right now. And you, if you follow the news in Istanbul, it is going on on that. And 2,600 years ago, the same question the prophet Habakkuk asked under circumstances very much like this is, God, where is your justice? How come the wicked are prospering? So that's what we are going to look at it this morning, is look at the book of uh, Habakkuk, and it's relatively small compared to the rest of the book, and look at this key question, why do the, the wicked prosper? And the background to this is, nowhere in the scriptures Habakkuk is mentioned except for in these three chapters, so we know almost nothing about this person. And the place is Judah, and last Sunday, Duncan took us through the life of Solomon. And after Solomon, we know the kingdom, Israel is no longer a single kingdom. It's the northern kingdom and southern kingdom. And the south looked a little better at times in terms of spiritual temperature, but end of the day, neither one, the north or the south, were following God's ways. So... During Habakkuk's time, the north has already fallen. And south is on the way to be delivered into the hands of Babylon. So that's a historical context. But yet, there is no repentance in the people. They are not crying out God, and they are just doing their own thing. So that's a historical context. And if you look at the outline of the book, it mainly has two main conversations Habakkuk has with God and God's response. And then the third response is from Habakkuk. It's like a psalm. It's a beautiful psalm. So if you look at the first one, his first complaint is how long this wickedness will continue and how long are you going to tolerate it? This is Habakkuk talking about his own people, Judah. And God's answer is very simple. Don't worry about it the Babylonians will take care of the wickedness of Judah. And now Habakkuk is more upset. <laughs> Babylonians, these heathen people who go around so arrogantly swallowing up nation after nation, you mean to say you are going to deliver your righteous people into the hands of these people? He's complaining again. God doesn't answer directly. His answer is, don't worry, they'll be taken care of you too. And we will look at the dialogue, how God is answering. And based on God's answer, the final confession or final prayer of Habakkuk is a beautiful prayer. It is actually a psalm where he's asking for God's wrath to come down, he is praying against the Babylonians, but he's also crying out for mercy for his own people, Judah. But end of the day, what he's acknowledging is, regardless of what happens, regardless what goes around, I will continue to praise you, and you will be my joy. And that's how the book ends. And let's look at the first complaint that he has in detail, 
uh, against the people. The complaint goes, how long, God, must I call for help? But you do not listen. This is a complaint against his own people. Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look, uh, look at injustice? And why do you tolerate wrongdoing? And this is the complaint. And God is saying, I am rising, uh, raising up Babylonians. But God is also very clear saying, these Babylonians are not going to be these clean people who are my instruments. They are actually going to be really ruthless and reckless. They are a law unto themselves, and they are guilty people whose own strength is their God. I mean, this is really hard for you and I to fathom. How can a people of God in a town of Erbil, which is already under such difficulties, is further being persecuted by a ruthless force like ISIS? Or if you take the land of where we came from, Turkey, the church is fragmented and weak already. And here, Anyone and everyone seems to can have a shot at the church at any given time. God, where are you? But God is saying, I am using these wicked people to punish you. And this is reality. Looking back, we look at things differently. But while you are in the midst of it, you and I cannot escape this kind of a complaint. And here, the second complaint is coming in. He's saying, Lord, are you not from everlasting? Oh God, my Holy One, you will never die. He is acknowledging, Lord, as the God who is Alpha and Omega, who is the beginning and the end, he'll be the beginning and he'll be the end. In the midst of struggle, he is lifting who God is. You, Lord, has, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, has ordained them, them meaning Babylonians, to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? There's a problem here. Here, he is complaining a little while ago in the first chapter saying, my people are wicked and violent. When God says, I'm going to use this wicked Babylon to punish, all of a sudden, my people are better than Babylonians, so God, you should not be using them. That's what he's saying, in essence. This is what I call horizontal com comparison. Most of the time, how you and I deal with issues is, God, I'm not as bad as the guys who are down the street. All those Christians who are just secular Christians who, don't, who are not truly followers of you. We create hierarchy among us. Or even worse, within the church, we look down on somebody and say, my kids are not as bad as those kids. Or my marriage is not as bad as what they are going through. How come you are allowing this to us? Or even worse, you are using them to punish us. That's his biggest complaint. So I have summed it up. His complaint is basically, how can you let such wicked conquerors destroy those more righteous than themselves? That's his cry. And 
you and I, in different ways, do the same. And God's answering in detail. He's saying, it seems it's slow in coming, but it's on his way, and it will come right on time. What God is saying is, it may seem to you the judgment to the Babylonians is slow in coming, but it will come exactly on the appointed time that I have. It's God is talking about his time. Then he goes on to say, but the person in right standing before God through loyal and steady believing, meaning by faith, is fully alive and really alive. What God is saying is in this context, if you stand by faith, if you continue to be steadfast in faith, you will be alive. You will always be alive. Then who do you think you are? He is now addressing to the Babylonians. Building a town by murder, a city with crime. Don't you know that God of the, God of the angel armies makes sure nothing comes of but ashes? What God is saying is, you are building town after town after town using your ruthless ways. But none of this will exist. In fact, everything will be reduced to ashes. However, meanwhile, the earth fills up with the awareness of God's glory as the waters covers the sea. The ending sentence, what God is saying is, yes, Babylonians are ruthless. They are swallowing up city after city, village after village. However, they'll be all be reduced to ashes. But it'll happen on my time, not when you guys think it should happen. But my glory shall fill the earth. And do you know what? Visible reality says it's not God's glory that we see in the part of the world we left. It is more and more the fanatic fundamental Islam is spreading. The voice of the moderate is losing. And ISIS is on the rise. And the last the weekend's events in Turkey makes it even more tricky. That's what the visible reality. But yet what God is saying is the earth will be filled with my glory. So this is the discussion it has gone on, on this one, in the first two chapters. And at this time, I want to recognize a family who is with us, uh, the Atkinsons, and they are international workers in Turkey, and two days ago, they were in the plane, boarded, ready to take off for Turkey, and they didn't even know the coup was taking place right across. And they were taken off the plane, and they have spent two nights, uh, and today they have joined us. And keep, a, keep them in prayer, because they see this, God's glory will be filled through all of Turkey. That's why they are going back. They are not going, they could have gone back to their town. I'm sure their church would take care of them. But they choose to continue because that's the promise. And that's only possible through the eyes of faith. So this is a real family here right now on this. So, in response to all this, what uh, Habakkuk is saying is, Lord, I have heard of your fame and I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. He is starting with history. I know, I have heard, because Habakkuk's time is well past the time that they have been brought through the uh, desert to the promised land. He's saying, I have heard your fame. And he's asking, repeat what you have done. Do that again, God. 
And then he goes on to say, in their context, in the Middle Eastern context, the fig tree and olives are very important. Even if the fig tree doesn't give any produce, even if the olives does not give anything, I will have joy in you. You will be my strength. And that's how he is finishing. So this is the historical overview of it. Let's look at what we, you and I can learn, even though our context may not be as bad as some of our brothers and sisters are going through, how do we respond? So if you look at first two chapters, it is perplexity. First it's coming from how come your people, that is your people Judah, continue to live in wickedness and in violence. Then when God responds, hey, I'll take care of them with Babylon, now his perplexity is, how can you let Babylon do this? And that's the prophets. For you and I, most of the time, when this happened, what happens is most of us, we talk horizontally with each other. He is upset, but his conversation is directly to the Lord Almighty. He is bringing God into the situation, as opposed to let the whole situation take over. And the God's response is, in, uh, you see in chapter 2, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, and the waters cover the sea. Just as waters cover the sea, my glory will fill the earth. And then God is also saying, the Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth be silent before him. Because when I am perplexed, like the situation with Cheryl, the guy threatening, I am angry, I want to take things into my own hands. But God is saying, no, I am seated in, on the throne, I am sovereign. I am fully in charge, even though the situation may look like I'm not in charge, but I'm in charge. And not only I'm in charge, there's a day coming, the entire earth will be covered by the glory of the Lord. That, so that's the promise he's saying. And when Habakkuk accepts the promise, the scriptures does not tell how long he wrestled with it. Whether it's days or weeks or months, it does not tell us. But definitely it's within a certain number of years because of the events that happened. And he embraces the word that God is giving. That captures the whole book. But the righteous will live by faith. And that's how he's ending the whole chapter. So what are the lessons that we can learn from this book? Before we go into the lessons, we need to look at the verse that I gave you here. But the righteous will live by faith. And that verse is directly captured at least three times in the New Testament. If you go to the book of Romans, it says the righteous by live by faith. The whole book of Romans is about how we are called righteous, not because of who we are, because of Jesus Christ's righteousness. How we are to live is by faith. And that's directly from Habakkuk. And if you look at the Galatians 3.11 talks about the righteous will live by faith. It tells us that's the only way for us to live. And the book of Hebrews, on chapter 10, verse 38, it captures the same verse, the righteous will live by faith. Even though Habakkuk did not have the full idea, how can somebody live by faith? Because Christ has not come in the way you and I know. But he is pointing towards the only way we can face the terrible situation, whether it's Babylonians or the wickedness of own people, is by living by faith. 
But for you and I, we know what that faith means is placing our trust in Jesus Christ of what he has done on the cross. So Habakkuk is one of the prophets right there pointing us Jesus is coming even though he himself did not have complete idea of it. And you and I being called righteous, I mean, for me, that is shocking because I know my heart. And I know the things that I struggle with. You know it too. But yet, you and I are called righteous to live by faith. The only reason is God is looking at us through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and that's what you and I wear. That's the clothing you and I are wearing. And when he looks at it, he's not just seeing Suresh as Suresh. He's saying, Suresh, the child of God, wearing the clothing of Jesus' righteousness. And when we continue to live by faith, and the works that comes is a response to that faith, that's the calling he is giving us to continue to live, especially in times like this. So, the first lesson we learn from the book of Habakkuk is the history and how we interpret history, it'll help us or it can go against us. If you look at the timeline, just before Habakkuk was a king called Josiah. And Josiah was one of the kings, things actually went very well. He was a young kid, but he took things very differently than his predecessors. And in fact, he destroyed the Baal worship. And also during his time, when they were cleaning up the temple, they found the book of the law, and there was repentance. But unfortunately, soon after Josiah's time, during Habakkuk, Judah went back entirely to its own ways. And I can see why Habakkuk is pleading, God, did you see all the reforms Josiah carried out for our people? So can you bring that back? He is pleading from history. So history is very important for us to look back and claim what God has done and his promises from history towards our current situation. The second thing is that we see from his uh, book is God will accomplish his purposes. He will get it done. There is nothing will stop that because the history follows a divine plan. It may look like What's going on now has no relationship or it's even going against what God is doing, but it will happen. We heard a few weeks ago the whole situation, the cultural revolution under Mao in China, Chairman Mao. I mean, more than half a million Christians were scattered all over and they were given the most menial jobs. What is it? Grave diggers and cleaners, garbage collectors. In both these professions, they were able to touch the people. And the the way Christianity has spread, one of the reasons is the missiologists tell us is because of Mao and how it was. So what it looks like, the history may look like what we see, things are against us. But this story itself, Mao's story shows us God uses everything. Then the third thing is that the history follows a divine timeline. You and I, most of the time, don't like the timeline. I wanted this guy to be brought to justice immediately who made the threats to show. I want ISIS to be destroyed tomorrow. I don't even care how it's done, to be honest, because some of the atrocities, what they are doing, especially to the believers. But God is saying, there's a timeline. 
My timeline is not your timeline, Suresh. And that's not easy for us to take. Then the fourth one is, history is bound up with the kingdom of God. The purposes of the past, present, and future all are pointing to the kingdom of God. Unfortunately, you and I immediately look at what's surrounding us. For Judah, it's Babylonians. Right? If you take the church in North America, we look at it, how the, the waning influence of the church right here in our society. And we looked at our marriages, the difficulties we have within the church, or our children who have drifted away from it. Those are the struggles we see. What God is saying is, I will bring my kingdom in the midst of all this in my time, and it will, it, it's certain it will happen. But are you willing to wait? So, in, before I closing, what I want to look at it is, what are some of the things that comes in the way that stops us from seeing it the way God wants us to see? In the book of Ecclesiastic, there's a passage that says, when there's a delay in justice to come, it's Ecclesiastic 8, uh, 11, when there's a delay for the justice to come, people take matters into their own hands. So one of the first things you and I need to be very careful is when God is saying, you need to wait for my time, our temptation is to take matters into our own hands. We really need to watch that we do not take matters into its own, own, own hands. The second is the thing that helped Habakkuk to continue is reflected in chapter 3. That's worship. In worship, he's bringing who God is, his whole character. God, you are the great one. You are the almighty. You are the one who brought the people. He's bringing the exodus language, the God who delivers people. Then he is also bringing that to the current situation, saying, God, do it what you did in the history to the current situation. And finally he's saying, he's surrendering, saying, I know there will be seasons the fig tree will not give the figs that we need. The olive will not give the olives that we need. There will be seasons. And there won't be rain. But yet... I will rejoice in you, and you will be my strength. So this morning, in closing, what I want to urge you is, let's turn our eyes from the Babylonians that we see, or the ISIS that we see, or the immediate problems that we see, to God the Lord Almighty. We are not called to ignore this, but let's start with God, when we start with God and come to Babylonians, then we see Babylonians in the context how God sees the Babylonians. When we start with God and come to Isis, we will see the Isis in the way God sees it and how Isis will be an instrument in the hands of God and eventually Isis will be destroyed. Why? Isis is arrogant as Babylonians. It will be reduced to ashes. God's glory will fill the earth. It will fill the Middle East. It will fill our land too. But it can only happen in the context of worship. So my urging to you and to myself is, let us commit 
first and foremost to the word of God because Habakkuk is using the word of God to bring history to the present. And you and I cannot do it alone. We need our community to do it together. So let us not stop coming together in worship, both collectively here in our homes and also our individual time. And the third thing is, we need this continuous reminder because every time a bomb goes off, if you live in Istanbul, you go back to crying out, seeing that situation. We need constant reminder. So surround yourself with people who will continuously remind us to look at not just the visible reality, but start with the invisible reality that God has promised. His glory will fill the earth, and he is seated on the throne. Therefore, we can face this difficult situation. Let me pray. Father Lord, we uh, confess. Just as the Habakkuk was perplexed, how you could use a wicked nation like the Babylonians to punish your own people. We are equally perplexed how you could allow the wickedness around us, whether in our immediate neighborhood context or the distant context like ISIS. Father Lord, we confess, Father, we have allowed this immediate situation to take over our lives. And we have been crippled at times. And often we cannot proclaim what Habakkuk is proclaiming, the joy of the Lord is my strength. I will rejoice in him, even if there is the seasonal rain is not there, even if there is no harvest, I will rejoice. But that's our heart cry, Lord, this morning, that you will enable us to look beyond the visible reality and to place our trust in the invisible reality that can only come through faith. Because the righteous shall live by faith. That's your promise to us, Lord. So help us to live that. Because you have bestowed the righteousness of Jesus Christ upon us. In Jesus' name. The name Habakkuk has meaning in Hebrews. And it, in the language of the Hebrew meaning for Habakkuk means to embrace or the person who embraces. So when the parents named him, they, it got to be God's prompting to name him as the one who will embrace. And that's exactly what Habakkuk did. Even though he was torn by the situation of his own people, even though he was torn by the situation that God will use Babylonians to punish his own people, but he embraced who God is in history, and he also embraced the promise that he will fill the whole earth with the glory of the Lord, even though it may not happen during his time, and he also embraced in faith that God is seated on the throne, he is in charge of everything. So my blessing to you is, you will take your immediate situation in the light of this. Embrace the situation as God will lead you to embrace. Under his sovereignty, 
under his omnipotence, meaning he is in charge. His will will prevail over your immediate situations and distant situations. And even more so, my blessing is you will embrace his word and that will fuel you in worship. Go in Jesus' name.